0: It is the, the tiny moments. It's the, it's the remembering to make eye contact. It's you know smiling and it's tuning into their emotions. It's, um, it's not always about having positive experiences. It's about being present to the negative emotions or the challenging emotions or discomfort that we might experience, that they might experience. And it's sort of about being open to the whole experience
1: of parenting. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis.
2: there welcome back to wisdom for well-being i am really delighted to be with you here today if i haven't dropped into your earbuds before my name is dr caitlin harkis and i am delighted to have dr renee kashai joining us today renee is an experienced australian psychologist with a passion for empowering children adolescents and parents to reach their full potential now before we dive in and we talk about you know the amazing impact of mindfulness and parenting skills in facilitating connection and navigating parental stress, I actually want to share that I am offering a free masterclass, a free online workshop, where I am introducing you to the top three myths that are actually stopping you from engaging regularly in a stress-busting yoga practice. So if you are interested in learning more, I'm going to be offering this workshop live over the next few weeks, head to drcaitlincom backslash yoga myths. It would be wonderful to have you along and we'll be talking about, you know, modern day psychological strategies that will actually empower you to engage in mindfulness practices like the mindful movement practice of yoga mindfulness is actually you know so vital in many areas and I think that's what you'll really take away from today's wisdom for well-being interview is how important mindfulness is in showing up as a parent you know in showing up and creating connection with our children so renee has published a wonderful book called parenting freedom and it's a book that she long dreamed of writing so i really hope that this interview gives you a taste for the wisdom contained in that book and that you have some real practical points that you can walk away with in your own parenting journey or your journey as you show up in different roles for little people in your lives without further ado Here is Dr. Renee now. Dr. Renee, welcome to Wisdom for Wellbeing. I am delighted to be with you here today. And we're actually, I was just holding up my Parenting Freedom book, which I know we'll be diving into. So thank you so much for taking the space out of your busy day, your, you know, mom life to to be here with us now talking about parenting.
0: Yes, thank you for having me. I've been so excited for this this recording, which took us a few months to plan
2: (laughs) it did didn't it and um I guess that's the the grace and the flexibility we needed as we navigated these you know early parenting journeys that we're both on and I'm sure that will come up through the course of the conversation
0: yes absolutely grace and flexibility are, you know non-negotiables I think especially when we're both in our early sort of Um, postpartum period which we just sort of worked out (laughs) yeah yeah, it's a connection
2: and and listeners may be connecting with this it may be something that's coming in their future perhaps it may be something that they've been through and empathize with but the whole journey I suppose is unfolding in different ways before we get into our conversation around parenting freedom would you mind just sharing with listeners a little bit about
0: who you are and the amazing work that you are doing yeah sure um I am a, primarily a child and adolescent psychologist. Um, I have a private practice in the Northern Rivers of New South Wales. Um, I have been practicing for, um, or in the field for about a decade now, um, working as a, a behavioral therapist and a holistic sort of early intervention therapist um, while I was studying and then went on to become a psychologist and to do my PhD in the field. Um, and really, I started off very interested primarily in autism, actually, and working with really young children um, who had autism or other developmental disabilities as well. And I I was very, very passionate about it. And I was doing a lot of home-based therapy. So going into the home and doing like a two-hour therapy session. And we had a team of therapists. And I guess the best thing about that work, especially so early in my career, was being in the home of these families so when you're in the clinic or when you're working at a school or anything like that um you know you you only see one picture and you're talking to the parents about what was going on at home but i didn't realize at the time how valuable that was at that time in my career to actually observe families where we're being trained to be good observers and i guess i got a lot of insight into the the family dynamics and parent-child dynamics and how much of that is at play when we're doing um, or implementing therapy or therapeutic interventions and how um, that can either facilitate or I guess um, hold back the progress of that family and the child and the parent-child interaction. So I became very, very passionate about parent-child interaction and how we can use parents as you know, true sort of partners and um, people who um, are the most important, you know, part of their child's therapy journey. Um, And I guess parallel to that, I was observing the stress and chronic stress, not just like minor stresses, chronic stress, chronic illness, um, you know, developing mental health challenges in these parents who were not super well supported uh, especially you know 10 years ago it was very much like you send the team in to work with the children and um, the parents had all of these needs Um, they were trying to manage like a a therapy team they are trying to meet their child's needs and do everything that they can and a lot of the time these particular parents um, were also trying to cope with the fact that their, their young child had just been diagnosed with something like autism and they were trying to cope and to deal with the psychological demand of processing that which we know often comes with grief and loss so they have all of these things to process as well as the practical demands of managing a team of therapists and Um, a really busy life often multiple children and trying to you know do our homework that we're like yeah you need to practice this these nouns and verbs by next week and um, I started to get become very interested in parent well-being and how that actually relates to um, child mental health and child developmental outcomes Um, so I started looking at this subset of parents who had children with disabilities or autism and now I've kind of branched off and become Um, Or looked at um, it more broadly so my PhD was specifically looking at um, parents of children with autism and I developed a program that was a mindfulness-based stress reduction program and we looked at um, parents um, heart rate variability and their blood pressure and took some real physiological um, measures to see whether the intervention that address stress, but also taught them practical parenting skills and behaviour management tools would be useful. And we did find that um, it was very effective. And we also looked at my, my final study as part of my PhD, which is basically a bunch of different case studies or case studies put together to make a big thesis, was looking at how these interventions then went on to affect parent child interaction so we measured things like how many times the parents made eye contact with the child how many times they had a social um smile and so they looked at each other and they shared a social smile doing a mundane task like homework or getting ready for school and we found that um, during and post intervention they actually were having more positive parent child interactions more eye contact more shared smiles so Um, That sort of, I was hypothesizing, translating to more mindful parenting, more present with each other, more attuned because they're connecting rather than getting trapped in that stress and transactional nature of, you know, when we're stressed and busy, what parenting can become. And then it led me to parenting freedom, um, which we can talk more about as well. Yeah. Well, there's so, there's so much to unpack here because
2: this is amazing, isn't it? That, And and it makes sense that in supporting parents in their well-being, that is going to change the relationship with the child and the child's experience as well. And something that might seem so simple, like these these smiles during mundane tasks, that's a really beautiful marker of a transformation that's unfolded.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I was chatting to a mom just recently, and she's a mom, and um, I was doing an interview with her, and she said to me, I feel so overwhelmed when I go on Instagram and I see like all these mindful parents and they've got the perfect feed and all the Montessori toys. And I'm like, well, basically none of that really is has anything to do with mindful parenting. Right. So it's beautiful. And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I just like to get really clear on what um, it actually means to be a mindful parent. And it is the the tiny moments. It's the it's the remembering to make eye contact it's you know smiling and it's tuning into their emotions it's um it's not always about having positive experiences it's about being present to the negative emotions or the challenging emotions or discomfort that we might experience that they might experience and it's sort of about being open to the whole experience of parenting rather than trying to cultivate like a positive experience and you know, trying to make our children happy all the time. It's its more about just allowing the whole spectrum of emotions that come for them and for us. Yeah.
2: And you you mentioned attunement and attunement is one of the the chapters in your parenting freedom book, actually. So you wrote parenting freedom as a way to support parents to cultivate, you know, their capacity for mindful parenting. And you identified, you know, some of the challenges that parents experience, both that you'd seen as well as those that you identify in the book, you know, like stress and burnout and overwhelm. So how does that stress, burnout, overwhelm the the day-to-day challenges of life and then life? with children, how does that impact us, our relationship with our kids? You mentioned a transactional nature that comes up in, in our interactions. What else kind of goes on in regards to our relationship with our kids when we're overwhelmed?
0: Yeah, absolutely. More and more research coming out about how our stress levels and our, um, sort of mental health as parents has, quite a direct and indirect impact on our child's mental health in the future so if um we experience clinical levels of anxiety our child is statistically more likely to experience anxiety and there is this intergenerational sort of transfer that happens um and i don't love talking about that because if we're already feeling anxious and then you know this fancy doctor tells me that my child's more likely to have anxiety, you know, that's just going to make us more anxious. So that's not why I'm saying it. But it's, um, you know, it's to help us to realize that when we aren't um, sort of prioritizing our well being as parents and um, our needs to take care of ourselves, and as we become more exhausted and more depleted over time, that's actually going to have a negative impact on the way that we show up with our child. So one of the ways that I started to look at this was through their attachment to us and our attachment to them. So um, when what, something that is very important in child psychology is to for our child to develop a secure attachment to their primary caregiver or multiple primary caregivers. And the way that we do that is by being responsive to their needs, by being present, with them by tuning to their emotions. So um, having like a more collaborative approach to behavior management, um, as opposed to being really authoritarian, um, which a lot of our parents in the last generation were a bit more so. So we have to really consciously try to shift our habits around this. And when we are depleted, exhausted, under chronic stress, I mean, we are much more likely to lose our temper, to be authoritarian, to get in control and power struggles, which I talk a lot about in the book, to become a bit more disciplinary. So, um, you know, we might um, resort to harsh discipline or behaviour management, um, which, you know, when we walk away, we often will feel you later, and we might regret it because it's not aligned with our values. And we know intellectually that that might not be how we want to parent. So, all of these things, when we have a big rupture or conflict with our child, I guess any form of disconnection, the the more that goes on and the, the bigger it is and the less we make repairs and the longer it takes us to make repairs, we're starting to, you know, impact their att- their secure attachment to us. Because when, when they say, mom, can I have a um, drink and we you know, have had cumulative stresses throughout the day build up, and we get to that point where we absolutely lose it over, say, something small. Um, then our child becomes very anxious. We feel unpredictable to them, even though we know that we're safe and we know we love them and we know we were just having a moment. From their perspective, we are not being consistent, we're unpredictable, and we are, you know, um, we are over having a big reaction. So they feel less, I guess, safe is the word Mm. around us, even when we know intellectually that they're still safe. So it's sort of tuning into that emotional um, need that they have and that when we do mess up, and I just want to normalise that absolutely every single parent does and will overreact or mess up or, you know, have a big reaction, it's about just recognising that we've done that as quickly as possible and maybe we've yelled or we've said something we didn't mean or we've looked at our child's face and go, oh, my gosh, like, I didn't need to say that. And we just quickly make a correction and a repair. So we say, I'm really sorry, um, I know I just yelled, I'm feeling really frustrated, um, that wasn't about you, that was about me, sorry, could you tell me again or whatever it is. But yeah. um, then they know, okay, mum might react to me, but I can trust her to check in on herself.
2: It's interesting that you mentioned the making a repair as being a really important state because it it highlights that you're not expecting perfection. It's not that we're going to be superhuman, always calm, always, um, perfectly attuned. But when there's those ruptures, there's this repair process and there's an, I guess, an honesty that kind of comes
0: with that, like owning where we're at and sharing that fully. Absolutely. And, um, so glad you mentioned that because there is like almost a whole chapter in this in the first part of the book about perfectionism and how um that is a stress cycle within itself and that is a barrier to parent-child sort of connection and interaction because we're kind of preoccupying about um all the things that we want to do as a parent where we could just be present to the child that's in front of us and i think you know when i became a parent it was um, even more obvious of how important that is and it's not only other people's demands on ourselves but it's our own the demands that we hold for ourselves and how high our expectations are on ourselves especially I think as women um, and how I guess our perfectionism and it I guess some of us have more perfectionistic traits than others but I think the way that um, society you know, use mothering and parenting. It, it, we have a lot of societal sort of perfection um, pedestal type expectations that are sometimes spoken and sometimes unspoken. And uh, it's really intense. So I think these practices that I talk about in the book and I'm always, you know, working with parents to cultivate are ways to, I guess, let go of all the expectations that firstly we have on ourselves to regulate the expectations that others might have on us and to just have more of an internal navigation system so we can clarify our values as a person, as a parent, we can listen to our intuition and we know how to meet our needs um, both professionally, personally and, um, you know, to fulfil, I guess, our own internal resources so that we have something to give from.
2: You mentioned like our needs, you know, professionally, personally, like that we're multidimensional beings that we're not suddenly just a parent, and I suppose that's um, where some of the challenges or the stressors come when the, you know, perceived expectations in each domain you know, kind of butt up against, um, each other and having that clear compass as to where we're going and what our values actually are might offer some reprieve. Um, the other thing that you mentioned that's that's super interesting to me. So you mentioned that anxiety is intergenerational, but that that's not why you're bringing it up to make people feel more anxious about being anxious, you know, the paradox, but you know, that, that when we take care of ourselves and we kind of move through these experiences that actually that can have beneficial, um, an opportunity for our children as well to see us healing. So I'm, I'm curious if we can maybe explore a little bit about how, how we navigate taking care of ourselves when there is so much on our plates, because I know mom guilt, mom guilt, however we want to say it. I'm, originally Canadian, um, but <laughs> mom guilt is, um is, is a real thing, isn't it? So if we, you know, schedule time out of the house or we schedule time to do our work, which might be something that fills us up. It's something you and I probably are connected on that we can feel guilty about not being with our kids. And yet if we're with our kids and kind of maybe wiping away these other, um, components of our identity of our well-being we might not be as able to be um, as regulated with our kids so it's a a paradox how do we how do we navigate this
0: absolutely absolutely and I think like I can just imagine every parent and you know particularly a lot of mothers just nodding their heads to everything that you were just saying the mom guilt and then wanting to have a sense of self and identity aside from being just purely I guess a mother Um, and there's nothing wrong with Um, I'm not even, I feel like this conversation transcends whether you're a stay home mom or whether you go to work, it's about your personal needs as a person, regardless of how you split or spend your time. So, um, I think there's, there's two things and I actually sat down, um, when I was feeling a little bit like I needed to nourish myself a little bit more just recently. And I was like, okay, what are my core values? And I went over that and what do, what are my needs? And, you know, at the moment I'm home pretty much full-time as a mom, and it's a very different lifestyle from being a full-time professional and academic and writing a book and running a clinical practice. So going on, I guess, maternity leave um, was a huge adjustment but um one that I'm really enjoying but I had to sit down and go okay what are my um what are my needs right now and they're very very simple it's like I need to go for a walk every day and get outside and um you know in the morning that works really well and you know I need to go to uh, my Pilates class once or twice a week and I'm going to you know my husband's going to have um my daughter um and we've coordinated it and got it in the calendar and um, you know, professionally, what is it that I need? So I'm doing this podcast interview with you today. Um, but there are, there are a lot of things that I'm saying no to, uh, probably 95% of things I'm saying no to right now because of this precious time. So I'm really aware of that. But also I'm thinking like, okay, in three months time, what are my needs then? Well, I'm going to do a little bit more work then. So how am I going to start to set things up so that I can have the space and working out what it is that um, my professional needs will be then and it, it, it's not for me it's not going to be going back to work full-time it's just like I need to be able to do these three or four things each week to sustain my well-being and sense of self and I guess you know sometimes people might look at that and go um, oh just be at home just you know don't worry about it right now and I guess I've had the privilege, and you probably have too, of working with so many parents, and I've worked with mostly mothers um, in my clinical practice. I'm not saying that this doesn't happen for fathers too, but it's just my experience has mostly being working with women, um, where they're five, six years down the track, and they're coming in, they've got multiple children, and they're like, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I'm passionate about. I have, you know, just, you know, they've sort of lost this sense of self. So um, I think by allowing yourself to maintain what keeps you well, it's going to have that positive effect. Because when I come back from my, you know, one-hour Pilates or, you know, I finish my podcast interview and I feel like I'm still able to, you know, touch, tap into things that I'm passionate about, I leave, you know, after this, I spend the rest of the day with my daughter feeling so fulfilled and so present. And, um, you know, So when we notice that resentment come up, I think it's important, you know, that feeling of like, oh, I wish I could be doing something else. It's important to just sit down with it and say, what do I need? Because this is absolutely not about my child. And I think sometimes we can feel that towards maybe our other family members like resentment that oh you get to go work or you get to you know you're you know and we sort of look to blame but we need to take that responsibility back within ourselves and say no I am we were talking about it at the very beginning before we press play that we have to really intentionally set boundaries around our needs because if we don't as you know parents and new moms of, of little babies you it, it, it will not happen <laughs> it just won't happen yeah yeah, that's beautiful
2: advice. Like sitting out and being very clear, what do I need? And as you pointed out, the needs may not be major, so for clear on those, and deliberately schedule them, like you've done with your partner. You know, scheduling in the hour Pilates class, knowing that you go for a walk each day, scheduling in things to fill your cup up in terms of using, um, you know, your amazing skill set and sharing this wisdom that you've accumulated and developed to have, to help others. That these are things that fill up your cup and allow you to be more present with your daughter. So while it might seem on surface level from a very simplistic look at the calendar that it's time away from your daughter it's actually allowing you to tune into your daughter a lot more and I think probably a lot of moms can relate to this that having a little bit of space a little bit of time where we're nourishing ourselves we're better for it in ourselves and perhaps in that attuned relationship you describe
0: exactly exactly and I think I'm super cautious and I love to remind people that when a lot of people have sort of taken secure attachment and and sort of create this narrative that we need to be with our children 24-7. And, um, you know, I'm. while they're young, they do need to be close to us. And as they get older, they can cope with more time apart. That's definitely a fact. But um, they don't, you know, they don't need, we're, we're allowed to have these moments of space to ourselves. And whatever that looks like for us, it's going to be different for each family. And some people will... Um, you know we'll all have different work schedules but they don't they don't need us to be there every moment I think when we're comparing quantity versus quality time with our child and with our interactions that's actually going to be a little bit more important so when if if we're with our child for you know 12 hours during the day while they're awake and we're not being responsive and we're numbing and we're ignoring and we're on our phone constantly and we're tuning out because we're you know um, we're struggling to cope with being present well that's not really good quality interaction with them for their attachment or achievement anyway so we would be would we be better off is the question I'm asking taking that two hours that we need or whatever it is I'm not trying to set any rigid rules for anyone else Um, taking the time that we need to sustain and fulfill ourselves so that in the rest of the time we're with them we are present and we are responsive and we're not sitting there scanning our emails while we're with them because we've had that time to be present with our work and then to be present with our child so um, setting those boundaries, I think, is healthy for our relationship with our child, not only for ourselves and our identity and well being, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense.
2: And I guess this shows the importance of deliberateness in this, doesn't it? Because trying to do it on the fly is going to be really hard versus if you have clear boundaries. Um, you've got things scheduled in the calendar, you might have auto respond. Sort of systems set up on emails, like having these things planned in advance is important. And you mentioned sort of the numbing out. So my understanding is, you know, we experience chronic levels of stress. It makes us more vulnerable to clinical levels of anxiety, which makes us more vulnerable to a depressive episode. So if we can get back to that point where we're starting to feel stress and nourish things, then, you know, it might, it might save us, um, you know, going down a really difficult track for ourselves, you know, and um how, how can we start kind of managing our stress levels? You know, you have mentioned kind of getting clear on values. Is there an exercise that you might recommend parents do you've mentioned mindfulness? What, what could we be doing to kind of manage this, this, you know, overwhelm that just again, to normalize, all of us are experiencing most adults in our society report, extremely high levels of stress. So no one is alone or faulty or flawed for experiencing these things are very human, but how do we kind of, how do we manage this humanness in this, you know, hectic, in a lot of ways, society.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Especially on the back of the last 18 months um, that we've been experiencing collectively. Um, It's a really good question. And a big theme in the book is meditation and having a daily practice. Um, I like to talk about meditation really flexibly, though, um, in terms of what that looks like for us. So, you know, there are formal meditations that we could do, um, formal trainings. I talk about my own experience a little bit in the book and something that I practice is transcendental or Vedic meditation, where it's based on a mantra for 20 minutes, um, traditionally practiced twice a day. Um, full disclosure, I haven't been meditating 20 minutes twice every day recently. Um, and thank as, you
2: for saying that because that's flexible, isn't it? Different times in our lives, different yeah. things. Yep. Yeah.
0: Mm. Exactly, and I find that um, I've been meditating for, you know, probably close to a decade, a good decade now, and I've always had pra- a practice, and it has changed and evolved over time. So it's a good thing to be flexible with, and I enjoy and I feel nourished by different practices at different times. So I would say in the first few months of um, of being postpartum, it was a lot more flexible, and it was a lot more trying to be. Um, having mindfulness and mindful moments with my baby and then it was having when I had breaks like I'd go and have a break when she was asleep and do a a guided meditation Um, I just felt like during some of those times I benefited from that guidance a little bit more or when we were having um, early sort of difficulties with breastfeeding I was doing a lot of like self-compassion practices with meditation Mm -hmm. Um, and now that I'm feeling more sort of um, balanced and I mean, more of a predictable routine. I'm I'm more able to do my normal mantra-based Vedic meditation practice. So it has evolved through my pregnancy, through my postpartum period, and it will continue to evolve. So I love to talk about meditation really flexibly um, as opposed to being rigid about having to do it twice every day in a really rigid way.
2: Yeah, and that's, um, you mentioned self-compassion as well. Would you talk us through that? Because that seems like an important point.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. Um, There's a lot of research um, looking at how self-compassion helps carers and caregivers. So people who are in in the caring profession, like psychologists and nurses, and um, I mean, there's a lot of caring professions teachers. um, They're finding that when these... um, health practitioners or carers were um, taught mindfulness or meditation practices and they kept up with their practice. They had noticed things like reductions in sick days at work, um, improvements in mental health, increases in salary because they were able to sort of, you know, grow their career. Um, They had more stamina for um, work and the emotional demands of their jobs. And then when the same thing sort of started to present when we look at parents and caregivers. So all parents, as well as parents who have children with additional care demands, whether it be a medical illness or a chronic illness or a psychological illness or neurodevelopmental disorder, that they tend to be more um, prone to burnout and depletion. And so when we add in a meditation practice um, daily or twice a day, um, that is self-compassion related, We tend to find that their stress levels reduce their cortisol, everything, adrenaline, all their stress-related functions and hormones in the body reduce, while the, I guess the good hormones and the the feel-good hormones like dopamine and, um, you know, our endorphins and oxytocin when with our children all increase. And um, it's quite specific to self-compassion meditation that, can help with these caregiving demands. And really the way that I like to describe it is our children need us to give them compassion and empathy all the time. And where does that come from? Well, it's it's actually something that we can cultivate within ourselves. We have to learn to have self-compassion and compassion for ourselves before we can sincerely give it to other people. And these practices, um, which can be in the form of a guided meditation, It can be a really short morning practice. It can be a journaling practice where we're actively and intentionally trying to be compassionate towards ourselves can just it helps us to naturally be more compassionate to others, but also is very good for us in reducing our stress levels and um, the demands of caring for others
2: incredible incredible and I like that you know you mentioned there's different ways of doing it you know that it could be a meditation but it could also be journaling like there's different ways of engaging in self-compassion and that's something that benefits us you know in terms of our well-being and our children so what um what a in a way selfless motivation for being kind to
0: ourselves yes absolutely and it's you know, it's just crazy that we almost need that, um, that reassurance often to be like, this isn't just a, you know, for us, because for some reason, it's really um, uncomfortable for us to nourish ourselves unless it benefits other people, which is something that um, I think we all need to look at. But um, yeah, sometimes it is just, um, it is just a script that we say to ourselves, like acknowledging that we're, we're struggling, acknowledging that something is hard, and that other people have felt this difficulty before and that um, just sort of being kind to ourselves like we would a friend. so it it can be as simple as that it can be uh, a journaling exercise where we write down um, you know kind thoughts and um, feelings towards ourselves and it could be a meditation practice Um, but the main thing is is that we're showing kindness towards ourselves it's that simple and it's super super uncomfortable at at the beginning, when we're first starting, it's people find it really awkward. But then, once we start to um, get used to it, it it becomes very nourishing.
2: I like that idea of nourishment. And I You painted out that other people have felt this way. And that's really interesting because you were talking about the mom earlier who was talking about, you know, all these um, perfect, perhaps Instagram feeds where they've got the Montessori toys and their kids are wearing like matching clothing. That's probably not totally stained. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's interesting because maybe what we're seeing is that life is a certain way, but actually, you know, we kind of know behind the scenes, it's probably not, not like that. I imagine, but <laughs> my life certainly isn't. But, um, but that we can go. Other people have had these feelings, like that none of this is new. And in that, there's a real connection to all of us, you know, past, present, future, who are going through these experiences. That we're not alone in this, in the overwhelm, and some of the darker thoughts that will inevitably come up. That that's you know nothing, nothing that hasn't been experienced before
0: yeah exactly and and that is something we can draw on in every stage of parenting um, or and life as well and that's why i think we we tend to try and find our tribe and our community and our sense of belonging um, in you know whether it's a physical illness like um something like cancer then we might connect with other people who have had that or experiencing that particular type as well. Whether it's, um, you know, a, in pregnancy, we're going to pregnancy groups or so whether it's as a mom we're connecting with other parents who have a child with particular difficulty and just chatting about it. or it could just be, um, you know, a, an, um, another mom who just has children and is experiencing the same things as us, doesn't have to be as specific as like a diagnosis of autism or something like that. Um, but we find our tribe and we, when we are validating each other, we're creating an environment where we can hold space and we can be non-judgmental. Um, but I say, I say that cautiously because not all spaces are like that. And I have even been to some in my own life where I felt like well, this is actually not nourishing me. This environment is um, actually making me feel uncomfortable or I'm feeling Like I don't have that unconditional um, non-judgment. So setting boundaries around spaces that aren't good for us because when we have the, um, you know, the playground gossip and we have the sorts of things that um, can make it us, you know, not able to be vulnerable or to be genuine or authentic, that can create even more stress. So when I say creating tribes and communities, genuinely helpful ones. Yeah. Thank you for
2: pointing that out as well, because that's important to realize too. And probably sitting back and reflecting on where we feel nourished and safe and where um, it feels less less safe and, and, you know, that there's maybe pretenses up. So I guess in giving people a few tips to walk away with, you know, obviously grabbing a copy of Perishing Freedom and reading through, you know, some of, um, some of these practices and the science, the literature, the framework in detail is going to be helpful. You also mentioned talking, talking through, writing through, reflecting on what do I need? So values, work, self-compassion. Yeah. Is there anything else that maybe someone could, you know, do, do today, you know, in terms of starting to cultivate that sense of freedom in their parenting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think something that I haven't talked about on a podcast or publicly outside of my programs before is maybe starting with a practice where you are just observing your child or children. So take a moment where you are interacting with them. It might be, um, You know, you might be driving in the car to pick them up from school. They might be a bit younger. You might be going to get them childcare, or you know, when you're at home, choose a moment. It might be like ten minutes or fifteen minutes, and set that time to just observe them. So if they interact with you, you might respond back to them, but otherwise, just observe them with what they're doing, whether they're playing or eating, or um, and just. Notice your mind. Notice what thoughts you're having and what you're feeling while you're observing them. Um, If you want to, you can even journal it down. So you can do like, um, as just pretend as if you're like a psychologist going in and doing an observation. Just write down what you're observing. And what you would find is, if you went back and looked at your notes, a whole lot of judgments and a whole lot of. Um, sort of more opinion-based observations as opposed to pure observations. or if you notice your mind your mind would be sort of chatting um, with all sorts of judgments so for example um, oh why is he doing that um, you know oh, his face is so dirty oh blah, blah 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 you know like our mind is this chatterbox machine just noticing all the thoughts and stories that are coming up and how many judgments we're having and then as you, if you're doing it for 15 minutes, see if you can just allow those thoughts to calm and go and just continue coming back to your child um, as if they are sort of the, like a mindfulness or a meditation focal point where we're just observing them. And if you, you might find that your mind's really, really busy the first time, but keep practicing it just as a bit of an exercise and see if you can get to that point where you can observe them. With your full awareness, without that constant chattering and the judgments and the stories and the wanting to jump in and fix it, you might notice sort of some irritable feelings, some discomfort with being still or not intervening when you're like, "Oh no, he's going to drop it," or "She's going to, you know, hurt her si- her sister or whatever." See if you can step back and just sit with that discomfort that might may or may not come up, the thoughts that are coming until you can just be with them and to be still and to allow and tuning into just their essence without having to change or even mentally you know thinking about what you're going to cook for dinner or the next thing that's happening just having that really present mindful practice with them um, that's sort of practicing something called beginner's mind which is a part of a lot of mindfulness programs where we're just almost like a, it's a sort of like a buddhist style of emptying your mind but It's not in the way of stopping all thoughts. The first thing anyone would say to me is there is no way I could observe my child and not think, not asking you not to think, just to allow them to come and go until there's less noise. And over time, you'll notice that you can be more aware and present with them without all those judgments. And some people like to write it down. So that can help too. to just see if that gets less and less and less.
2: That makes a lot of sense. So practicing, stepping back, observing, and, You know, using your children as this focal point for your meditation, like what a beautiful, beautiful practice. And noticing maybe where those judgments are impacting our ability to be present.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And when we practice that more and more, that can translate to the bigger moment. So when they have a tantrum and we would normally feel that rise of emotion, our heart rate elevate, our big reaction come. If we have been practicing this presence with them, with this non-reactiveness to them in other moments, then we can try and draw on that. So we can kind of anchor ourselves when we notice our our emotions rising and our stress rising in that moment, we can self-regulate and anchor ourselves and then even just allow it to ride out without getting caught up in their, their big emotions. We can more quickly pick up on what they're feeling rather than reacting to what's happening and we can also just contain it a bit better because often what we do is add fuel to the, to the intensity of a situation. So we can just allow it to rise, allow their reaction to rise and we can contain it. And if we need to set boundaries around it, we can. If it just rides itself out, it will, but we can just allow it to come and go just like our thoughts.
2: Yeah, that's really beautiful. And so, um, parents listening, when um, Renee said set boundaries, I think the the inference too is if there's like a dangerous situation that's happening, please interfere. Don't just step back and watch yes. um, watch things come and come. Or if Your you need child's to about to run out onto the road, yeah, exactly. Um, so Whatever sense. it is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but um, but when it's a generally safe situation, if your child is tantruming, or if you're doing the observational beginner's mind practice, and it's a safe situation, just noticing those um, those thoughts, those experiences coming up, that's a really beautiful, beautiful practice. And I really love that it teaches us to notice, you know, where judgments um, unfold in our minds because they come up so much, you know, in our parent-child interactions as well as day to day. So, what a nice practice. Thank you so much Renee for sharing your wisdom with us and some amazing, you know, steps that we can engage in to enhance our well-being, to enhance the quality of our relationship with our children. Where can listeners find you? Work with you. I mean, if anyone's watching the youtube version of this parenting freedom grab the book is obviously a place if you are listening to the podcast right now i'll have a photo of the book on the show notes but
0: yeah where, where are you at renee yeah absolutely and thank you for having me um best place to find me is on my website www.renecacia.com um i'm also active on instagram renee Keisha, phd um and you can find all my links to my work on there at the moment um yeah i've just launched this book um, recently, Parenting Freedom. So grab a copy of that and it will sort of explain all of these things in a lot more detail with a lot of practical case studies. And when I do get back into a little bit more work next year, I have some really exciting plans of um, bringing these sort of this the work in this book more practically to parents in a, the form of like a course or a way that they can, um, you know, have a step-by-step framework to follow um, because I know sometimes following a book can be tricky, but it always helps to have the knowledge and the intellectual understanding behind our practices first. Um, So I would definitely start there.
2: Amazing. Amazing. So keep an eye out for all of these amazing offerings and I'll link to your website and um, Instagram in the show notes as well, listeners. So and I thank you so much i will um yeah i appreciate your time and let you get back to back to the beautiful joy that is um that is mothering for you
0: thank you so much and thank you for
2: having me well i hope that you found that interview as practical as grounding and as connecting as I did, I hope that you are asking yourself right now, what do I need? And if you are thinking mindfulness and mindful movement practices like yoga would be useful for you cultivating a sense of stress management, clarity in your heart, in your purpose, please come and join me for my free masterclass, the free training that I'm offering over the next few weeks. Head to drkatelyncom backslash yoga myths to join it would be so wonderful to have you and to share you know a practice that has really truly transformed my life and to which I give a lot of credit in terms of how I've experienced the last the last few years so again drcaitlin.com backslash yoga myths to join and of course head to Renee's website to learn more about her work to grab the book Parenting Freedom Transform Stress and Depletion to Connection and Meaning all of the links will be in the show notes at drkatelyn.com. Wishing you a wonderful week ahead and if this episode has impacted you can I please ask that you share it with a friend send it off from the app where you're listening and if you have a moment i would so appreciate a review it really helps me spread the message of evidence-based practice psychological well-being that wisdom for well-being is all about bye for
1: now thanks for joining us this week on the wisdom for well-being podcast Please visit drkatelyn.com to connect, find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for well-being is not a substitute for professional individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.